0: Hello, and welcome to the Trump Scorecard. I'm your host, Jesse Burney, and every week I cover the worst and weirdest the Donald Trump presidency has to offer. Why do I do it? Because this is not normal. But this week, I want to start by talking about something that is normal. We get so caught up in the scandals and the attacks on our democratic norms and the basic human indecency of this administration. There are so many big stories every day. It's easy to miss the stories that don't make the headlines, the changes Trump makes that don't get the breaking news graphic on CNN, because some of these are going to have a long-lasting impact on a lot of people. This is part of the reason I started doing this podcast. Yeah, I get caught up in those big stories. But I hope if you listen every week— you're going to hear about some of those stories you may have missed, because these are just as important as the big stuff. Yes, Trump leaked classified intelligence about ISIS to Russia, and that's huge. Yes, he pulled out of the Paris Climate Accords, and I'll be talking about that later in the podcast. But he is also quietly dismantling our federal government's ability to protect people's civil rights. And that's a change that's likely to have a huge impact on people all over the country immediately. One of the ways we've made our presidency so powerful is the near total control he has over how federal agencies do their work and what their priorities are. So even if Trump's agenda isn't getting through Congress and he's having plenty of problems there, he can still make major changes without Congress lifting a finger. There was a story in the Washington Post on May 29th, and it detailed how Trump is crippling civil rights protections across the government. For example, his budget calls for the elimination of the agency in the Labor Department that makes sure federal contractors don't discriminate. Uh, His appointees at the EPA want to get rid of the program that targets issues of environmental justice. That's when environmental disasters have an outsized impact on minority communities. In other words, all the damn time. Trump is proposing major cuts to the Office of Civil Rights in the Education Department. So if your kid is facing discrimination in school, chances are the federal government won't have the resources to step in and help. The Education Department is also removing protections for transgendered students. And Housing and Urban Development is removing protections for transgender people who need access to shelters. Over at Justice, Jeff Sessions is reviewing the department's agreements with police forces to work with them on reform efforts. Big air quotes around the word reviewing there because he's not just reviewing them. He, he's going to cancel them because he doesn't care about whether police care about protecting civil rights. None of these individual stories are capturing the attention of the media the way, say, the Russia scandal is. And, and believe me, I'm not saying we're spending too much time on the Russia scandal. I'll, I'll be talking about it later, just like I do every episode. It's a huge story, but we also have to pay attention to these smaller stories, because they are just as likely, if not more likely, to have an impact on your life. Sam Stein at the Huffington Post had a really good story about this Thursday, and he talked about a lot of examples of changes Trump has made that are just devastating, many of which uh, I've discussed on this podcast. So take a moment and check that out. There's a link to that story, like there are links to every story I cover, on the website. That's thetrumpscorecard.org. The president is responsible for so many decisions, it's difficult to comprehend. Thousands of staff across the federal government, which rules to enforce, which problems to focus on, which people to help. Trump is using that power to make it easier to discriminate against pretty much every vulnerable population, even kids. And when it comes to Republican presidents, that is normal. I promised last week I wouldn't do this much, and and I won't. But I want to talk again about how much it means to me to have your support. Uh, this is a lot of work. Um, I do all the writing, all the recording, all the editing, all of the production, uh, all on my own, and having your financial support is a big deal. So here's the deal. I have set up a, a Patreon goal of 50 new supporters, and if you would just take a moment when you're done listening to the podcast and in front of your computer, to go to patreon.com, that's patreo ncom com slash the trump scorecard and sign up to be a patron of the podcast, give just a few bucks an episode, it will make a huge difference going forward. Once I hit that 50 patron goal, I'm going to stop asking. So if you don't want to hear me asking in future podcasts, the best thing you can do right now is go to that website, patreon.com slash the trump Scorecard. And sign up. I'd really appreciate it. Thanks. Let's get caught up with this week's Russian news. It feels like a million years ago, but it was actually after last week's podcast when the big news broke about Jared Kushner. Uh, to sum it up, in case all the other news since has pushed it out of your brain, during the transition, as a private citizen, Kushner met with Russian operatives and asked to use Russian facilities to establish a secure back channel with the Russian government. And there's been a ton of analysis of this story, how Kushner had no business making that request because he wasn't working for the government yet, how strange and, and downright dumb a request it was, what laws he may have broken. But the thing that struck me the most is that by asking to use Russian facilities to set up this back channel... He was essentially opening himself up to Russian intelligence services, right? They'd hear every word. So whom did he want to hide his conversations from? U.S. intelligence? Isn't that kind of odd to want to hold talks open to anyone in the Russian government that no one in the United States government would be aware of? I really do try to avoid the tinfoil hat stuff on this podcast. And I don't think Jared or Donald Trump... Are secret Russian moles, or trying to give away nuclear secrets or anything like that. I just think they're not very smart, not experienced at all, and really, really impressed with themselves. I think Kushner thought a back channel with the Russians sounded like a cool thing a cool presidential advisor should have. He didn't give any thought to the implications. And then He lied about it on his application for security clearance, just left the meeting off completely. So far, he still has that security clearance and still has his job. Of course, he's not the only one who got into more trouble this week. Uh, Do you remember Boris Epstein during the campaign? If you picture a prototypical Trump flunky, Epstein is your guy. The ill-fitting suits, the slicked-back balding hair, the tough-guy attitude that just comes off as kind of ridiculous. He always got into dumb arguments on TV. I... I'd say he was one of Trump's worst surrogates during the campaign, but there was so much competition. He worked in the White House for about 10 minutes and then left mysteriously with no explanation. And now the House Intelligence Committee wants information on his contacts with Russia. I think he's about the 90,000th person of interest in this investigation. And speaking of people of interest in this investigation, remember when Jeff Sessions had recused himself from the Russian investigation because he lied under oath about his meetings with the Russians? Now Congress wants to know if he may have had a third undisclosed meeting with the Russian ambassador. Sessions already admitted to meeting Kislyak informally before Trump's speech uh, during the campaign on foreign policy, but now there are reports there was a second private meeting after the speech in the Mayflower Hotel. Again, who knows what went on during any of these meetings. They, they could have been exchanging haberdashery tips. But what we do know is that Sessions hid all of these contacts. Jared lied about his on his security clearance forms. So no matter what they talked about, they thought it was worth hiding. Every week, it feels like we're getting closer and closer to the ground, finally falling out from underneath this administration. But remember, the special counsel investigation is just starting. The congressional investigations are still run by Republicans. So there is a long slog ahead of us. Honestly, I would love for just one week to have a break from talking about this. But what's really fascinating to me is how little the administration cares about the optics. Or maybe just how bad they are at it. Trump had no compunction about firing Comey, even though it made him look guilty. He continues to argue the real story is Obama wiretapping. And of course, he blames the media for everything. Actually, let's take a quick Trump blames the media break.
1: It is my opinion that many of the leaks coming out of the White House are fabricated lies made up by the fake news media. Whenever you see the words sources say in the fake news media, they don't mention names. It is very possible that those sources don't exist but are made up by fake news writers. Fake news is the enemy!
0: That sounds like a guy who isn't guilty of anything. So, Trump is bad at optics, and here's a perfect example. In in retaliation for interfering in the 2016 election, President Obama kicked Russian intelligence out of two compounds on American soil, one in New York, one in Maryland. And Trump, he's preparing to give them back in exchange for absolutely nothing. Why, with all this scandal swirling, would you do something like that? Why would you do favors for the Russians right now? I'll say it one last time. This isn't evidence that Trump is a Putin puppet. No Not puppet. States, no puppet. And... It's just evidence that this administration is incompetent. And that may be just as useful to Vladimir Putin as a Manchurian candidate in the White House. Hey, ladies. Are you on birth control? First of all, wow, kind of trampy. Second of all, I hope your boss approves because he or she, but probably he, because we live in a patriarchy, is about to decide whether you get to keep using it or not. Obamacare includes a mandate that insurance has to cover birth control. And there are exceptions for religious organizations with moral objections. If you work for, say, a Catholic church, the insurance they provide doesn't have to include birth control because they hate abortion and birth control reduces abortions. It doesn't actually make any sense. And since the Hobby Lobby case... Uh, That was extended to include closely held private companies whose owners have strong religious beliefs, which is bullshit. But Trump wants to go much, much further. And he can with no input from Congress or the courts. The Department of Health and Human Services is going to change the regulation so any employer can declare an objection and no longer provide insurance that covers your birth control. So if you work for a company that might, say, pretend it has religious objection in order to save a few bucks, You might very well be paying for birth control out of pocket. And if you can't afford that, well, you're pretty much screwed. No more birth control for you. Remember, no matter what they say, this has nothing to do with religious objections. And it certainly has nothing to do with reducing abortions. It has everything to do with controlling women, controlling your sex life. So you can't make the decision for yourself when and how and if to have children. I've said this before. But if you think long-term contraception might work for you, talk to your doctor. Because even if you work for a sympathetic employer now, that may not always be the case. And the next step is to declare that birth control isn't preventative care. So even insurance companies that do cover it can start charging co-pays again. You want to get out of the Trump presidency without paying exorbitant costs for your birth control? Go long-term now, while you can. I talked last week about how the Congressional Budget Office released its score on the Trump Care bill that passed the House and said the bill would cost 23 million Americans their health care. So, what do you do when a score that bad comes out for a bill you're trying to pass? You kill the messenger. Uh, Mick Mulvaney, he's the head of the Office of Management and Budget. Uh, He's the huge asshole who put together Trump's 2018 budget, which uh, I forget the details, but I think it allocated all of our tax dollars toward puppy strangling. Uh, Mulvaney said he thinks that the time for the CBO has, quote, come and gone, which is kind of like wanting to murder your teacher because you failed your midterm. Look, scoring complicated bills is difficult, it's an imperfect science. But it is absolutely ridiculous to criticize the CBO for saying Trumpcare would take health care away from people. It is designed to take health care away from people. There is no doubt that is what it will do. Maybe the CBO is on the nose and it will be 23 million. Maybe it will be more, maybe less. But the result will be fewer Americans with health care. We know this. But look, this is just an extension of Trump and the Republican Party's long campaign to discredit the media. It's working the refs. If you want to do bad things, and you want to convince people those things aren't bad, you need to discredit objective, factual sources who will point out what you're doing is wrong. That's why there are millions of Americans who think climate change is a hoax, and Hillary Clinton should be in jail for her emails. Working the refs works, and Mulvaney's remarks are just the opening shot. I'd expect to see conservatives play the long game on this one until they've convinced people the CBO has the same liberal bias they've made up in the media— And then, if they're still in power, they'll kill it. Just you watch. Trump did something genuinely horrible Thursday when he pulled the United States out of the Paris Climate Accords. This was our last, best hope to prevent catastrophic climate change. And without U.S. leadership, honestly, it's hard to predict what will happen. The day before his announcement, I talked to John Quigley. He's a a senior fellow at the Kleinman Center at the University of Pennsylvania, and he served as the secretary both of Environmental Protection and for Conservation and Natural Resources under two different Democratic administrations in Pennsylvania. I started with, I think, the obvious question. What exactly does the Paris Agreement do?
1: The primary goal of the Paris Agreement was to reduce, or is, to reduce CO2 emissions to such that... Uh, we can hold the increase in global average temperature rise to below 2 degrees centigrade above pre-industrial level. So, and, and that's a relatively ambitious, goal. although there's a lot of science that says actually 2 degrees centigrade isn't safe. It's actually 1.5 degrees centigrade is the, the maximum amount of warming. So there was a nod to that as well in the Paris Agreement to at least 2 degrees centigrade, hopefully getting to 1.5 degrees centigrade.
0: Two degrees, a degree and a half, doesn't sound like a lot, right? But of course, these are global average temperatures. So a tiny change over the average temperature of the entire globe means a devastating change to our climate. There's a comic from xkcd.com that shows exactly how dramatic this change is. I'll link to that on the website, thetrumpscorecard.org. This agreement was a really big deal, and getting there wasn't easy.
1: Uh, the agreement was kind of a bottom-up approach uh, in that each participating country was tasked with developing its own plan to address climate change and then promised to follow that plan and report back periodically on progress. And then every five years, country signatory countries come back to the table for essentially a new round of negotiations, a new set of commitments to further ratchet up uh, climate protections. Uh, so it, it was a, an ingenious agreement that uh, received the support at the time of every country in the world except
0: two. Syria didn't join because it's in the middle of a devastating civil war. Nicaragua didn't join because it didn't feel the accords went far enough. John argues that by becoming the third country not to sign this agreement, we're making a huge mistake.
1: It's it's a retreat from the international stage. It's a retreat from international leadership for this country. Uh, that sends precisely the wrong signal. That's not what America is all about and what America should be about. The United States is ceding leadership on the development of clean tech to countries like China. Uh, if the United States is not going to participate in, in these agreements and have smart environmental and climate policies, uh, we're going to see the investment and jobs uh, go to other countries that are grappling with this issue and particularly China. So it's it's stupid from uh, uh, an economic standpoint. And frankly, it's criminal when you consider the obligations that we have to future generations.
0: So with Trump pulling out of the Accords, what's our next step? John says, look local.
1: It underscores the absolute necessity of state leadership, state policy leadership, of large cities leading on climate uh, Pittsburgh and Philadelphia, for example, in Pennsylvania are, are doing some great work. Uh, California is an unquestioned leader on, on smart climate policy in this country, and they're reaping the economic benefits. So it underscores the necessity
0: of states and cities stepping up. But it's not just state and local governments. It's also in the interest of business to take action on climate change.
1: Uh, it also underscores the necessity of uh, of the business community itself acting in its own interests and ensuring sustainability. And and again, just today, as Trump steps away from Paris, uh, the shareholders at Exxon Corporation, uh, the the global energy giant, uh, passed a resolution to require management of the company to detail for its shareholders and investors how it's dealing with decarbonization. And we've seen similar shareholder efforts, uh, for example, at Occidental Petroleum, at PPL Corporation. Uh, so the smart money in the investment community, trillions of dollars uh, worth of investor power is beginning to speak and leverage its its uh, voice and demand that companies step up and and plan for decarbonization because it's good business. Uh, so I, I think that combination of enlightened private sector action and smart and aggressive state and and large city efforts are really the places that we have to turn to in the United States for leadership.
0: And fighting climate change, it's just good business.
1: fastest growing job category in the United States right now is wind energy technician and the solar industry itself is outpacing the growth of the general U.S. economy by a factor of about seven. Uh, and while the, ups and downs in in investments and and venture capital and so forth, notwithstanding, it's pretty clear that the world is coming to the realization and the rest of the world outside of uh, uh, Syria and uh, the current occupant of the White House uh, have come to the realization that sustainability is something that we have to drive for, that we have to fix the climate problem in order to maintain our civilization. And that's not hyperbole. So over time, I think there is going to be Uh, a very significant uh, increase in the investment in and profitability of renewable energy technologies, energy efficiency technologies, uh, other needed technologies like carbon capture and storage, carbon capture and utilization, actually taking captured carbon and making stuff out of it, using CO2 as a feedstock, turning a pollutant into an asset. Uh, I think there's a tremendous opportunity uh, for that kind of creativity uh, that will not only make investors a lot of money, but save
0: the climate at the same time. The question I'm left with is why? It's good for the planet. It's good for business. Why is Donald Trump pulling out of these accords?
1: Clearly, this administration has demonstrated a propensity to being anti-fact, anti-science, uh, anti-global in its, in its worldview. Uh, so this, I, I think, is nationalism and uh, uh, at, at its worst and just a continuation of the the fact-free policies uh, and science-free policies, anti-science policies that uh, this administration has espoused from the get-go.
0: History isn't going to judge him kindly.
1: Policy matters. And for what used to be the the bright light in the world, the United States, uh, to step away from that responsibility and that leadership role is, in my judgment, criminal.
0: Finally, this is from an Associated Press story from May 31st. President Donald Trump has been handing out his cell phone number to world leaders and urging them to call him directly, an unusual invitation that breaks diplomatic protocol and is raising concerns about the security and secrecy of the U.S. Commander-in-Chief's communications. I don't know if you remember this, but uh, during the campaign... There were some concerns about the candidate who ran against Trump. Her name uh, uh, escapes me at the moment. But there was something about her emails and there was something about the security issues around them. I don't remember exactly how the details work, but I think trying to talk to world leaders on your cell phone instead of having them go through regular channels and secure lines might not be the smartest way to go about presidenting. That's it for another week where somehow this guy is our president. I want to thank John Quigley for coming on and and going through the Paris Accords with me. Uh, I also want to thank some of our Patreons. Uh, Kristen Delgado, Susan Wessler, Janet Cohen, Tree Coffee Roasters, Laney Hood and Kirsten Patzer. Thank you so much for supporting the podcast. And remember, you can support us too. Go to patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N slash the Trump Scorecard. Please support the podcast. If you have any questions, send me an email, Scorecard at gmail.com. You can like the podcast on Facebook, facebook.com slash the Trump scorecard. And of course, you can always find me on Twitter, at Jesse Burney.
1: Well, that's because he'd rather have a puppet as president of no the United puppet, States. No puppet. And it's pretty clear, you're the puppet. it's pretty clear you won't admit no, that the, the Russians puppet. have engaged.
0: The Trump scorecard is written, hosted, edited, and produced by me, Jesse Burney. Our music is from bensound.com. I'll be back next week. And remember, this is not normal.